0: The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love,
1: with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York.
0: Welcome to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world, looked at through the prism of our Catholic social teaching. Uh, We look at it from the dignity of the human person, which is the bedrock of our Catholic Beliefs in our Catholic social teaching. As we are kind of in the middle of summer, we've passed the Fourth of July. Um, we still have so much going on in our world that we need to talk about. Um,
1: Tom, is uh, are you into summer yet? I sure am, Monsignor. I'm, I'm 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 kind of in in summer mode. I was down. In Washington DC at the CRS gathering uh, last week, and uh, they had some nice summer weather. So I was enjoying myself in the evenings, walking around. We were at Catholic University, so I was really enjoying the summertime weather, walking around. And you know, that's a beautiful campus here. So I really am starting to get in the swing of summers. How how, how about you?
0: I'm into summer. I think but... we're into. I'm into <laughs> summer. Um, so let's do this summer. Also, is vacation, but people are still working during the <laughs> summer. And so, one of the major items that we look at in terms of of uh, you know what's going on in the in the world and our values is the value of work and making sure that people get paid uh, fairly. And so, I'm very very pleased that we have as our guest this week. Denise Iglesias, who is the uh assistant director of the wage and hour division of the Department of Labor. And um it's a very, very important, um uh, important reality that that I'm glad that we have somebody who has been, you know, on top of it to um to to speak with. Um and um so the so what I would like to ask uh Denise is um Denise Iglesias, thank you for joining us on Just Love.
2: Good morning.
0: Thank you for the invite, everyone. Great. Um, so could you just kind of give our listeners a little bit of uh of your background? Give us a little bit of your background. How'd you wind up now in this position of the assistant director for the wage and hour division? Well
2: started many years ago. (laughs) I am a Latina woman born and raised here in New York City um, from immigrant parents. And I began my wage and hour career back in 1992. And I started as a part-time student Um, while I attended college. Um, Once I graduated, I attended Bernard Baruch College here at City Universities of New York. And I was then transitioned to become a wage hour investigator. And I did that for 25 years of my career as a wager investigator. Ah. Then in 2017, I got promoted and I became the assistant district director here at the Hudson Valley Area Office, which is part of our Albany district office. So it's a position I still hold today.
0: Yeah.
2: It's a long so, history. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, thank you so much. And, and thanks for taking the time to be with us, be with us on Just Love. And now, you know, I think some people are very familiar with, um, with this work, but some of our listeners may not be. So what does, you know, the Wage and Hour Division do? I mean, what's your charge or
2: what are you about? Oh. Wage and Hour Division, it's re- they're responsible for enforcing some of the nation's most comprehensive federal worker protection laws which include the federal minimum wage, overtime pay, the child labor requirements, FMLA, which is the Family Medical Leave Act, and prevailing wages for government-funded service and construction acts. So we do a lot. (laughs) Okay. Um, So again, just for a little
0: bit of civics lesson, um, so there is... The Department of Labor, the federal department, and there's the state department. How do those two interact?
2: They are our sister agencies at that state. Um, there's different state laws for every state, um, but they may have different minimum wage laws in each state. So it's important that um, workers and employers abide by the state regulations as well as the federal regulations which could differ in many states throughout the nation. Okay. All right. So um, they, okay. So
0: what have you been experiencing for the, in your work over these past number of years in the Hudson Valley? What's tell us a little bit what's going on there. What, what's the environment? What are you seeing in the areas that you're looking at?
2: Um. The same; it's it's consistent throughout the nation. I mean, most people, a lot of our calls come in for um, unpaid wages, allegations of overtime. Um, they haven't been paid their last week's paycheck. It's a number of um, allegations that we do we do get in our in our area, and at least at the Hudson Valley area office. And we take them all serious. All of our all, all of our complaints that come in.
0: So, you know, without violating any confidentiality or anything like of that nature, but do the complaints kind of cluster around a number of of issues?
2: It's just a general, um, nothing specific. A lot of federal minimum wage issues, overtime. We see a lot of um, child labor um, allegations. It's the same. That
0: hasn't changed. It's been consistent throughout the years. Okay. Um, so one of the areas which um, is, you know, related to this is, I know there are a number of, in Westchester, the lower Hudson Valley, there are a number of day laborer sites where people kind of work each day. Now, does your office look into those type types of complaints also?
2: We look at all complaints. If you are hired to work for an employer in this country, you are entitled to get paid for those hours that you perform those services for that employer, regardless of the type of work you do. So, again,
0: it seems to me that when we look at day laborers who work very hard, but it seems you have a lot of kind of verbal like agreements that go on. Is it a little bit harder to figure out what's going on in a situation like that?
2: Um, no, again, um, there are processes that we handle when we take these type of um, complaints. Um, but we look at everything. We, you know, we talk to employers, we talk to workers, and we make a determination based on what the facts of the case. in each case is different.
0: Um, so, you know, in your experience, you've been looking at this for a while. Um, do you think um, the wage fraud issue, people not being paid, um, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? What, what's, what's your experience in the, in the workplace?
2: I think the most important thing that Wage Hour does is we focus a lot on prevention, prevention and compliance, it's important. The goal of the agency is to prevent these violations from occurring in the first place. Right. So we provide a lot of outreach and education to workers, to advocate groups, to unions, to let the word know out there for employers that we're here. We're here to help them because sometimes they don't know. Right. They don't know what the laws are. It's it, it could be very confusing. you got state laws, you got federal laws. So we provide these outreach events for employers. And we do the same with workers as well. So they're aware of their rights as a as a worker in, in our nation. And we focus on compliance. You know, we provide comprehensive compliance assistance to promote the early detection correction of these potential wage violations that we encounter. It
0: seems to me that given, you know, they kind of they kind of have a little bit of a joke that uh, there has not been a regulation that New York state hasn't doubled down on. There are a lot of regulations in a variety of different areas. You know, again, from your experience, um, I, I suspect the violations may fall into two broad categories. I mean, one of them may be, you know, intentionally bad acting, not wanting to pay people fairly, but some of them may be not knowing what, the rules are and violating them because they don't know it. Is that experience that you kind of find stuff falls into both of those categories?
2: A lot of employers don't know. I mean, you know, they, they open their businesses. They're, they're not knowledgeable of the laws out there. They, they start out very small employers. Then as their business grows, they just don't get the, they don't contact us. They don't get the proper guidance. So sometimes unintentionally, they make these mistakes along the way that they don't know. So what happens is that you get a call from a worker. They allege these, oh, I haven't been paid. And this is when they start learning about wage hour. <laughs> Once there's some type of wage hour involvement and we do our investigations. And our, again, our goal is compliance. We want to educate that employer, bring them into compliance. So moving forward, they don't make these mistakes again.
0: And I, as you said, which I think is, is, you know, right on target, I guess you'd prefer to prevent all the abuse rather than having to investigate it.
2: Correct. That is our goal.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, again, would you say that kind of, you are pretty successful? Are you kind of happy with your prevention program?
2: We are. And I'm proud of the work that we do as an agency.
0: Right. Right, um, and that's
2: what our office does as well. So,
0: and um, uh, so, in, in the course of the year, to give our listeners just a little sense of the extent of what's going on, um, how many claim, how many complaints would you get in a in a year?
2: Ooh, I wouldn't even begin to tell you. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, we get them, we get them, and we get them from direct workers, sometimes through third parties. Um, well, we do get plenty. Okay.
0: Are there any kind of new initiatives that you're undertaking to kind of enhance the work, uh, the preventive work, or even the, the enforcement work? Are there some new initiatives that you're, you're dealing with? And I, I'll throw in something else in kind of the post-COVID environment because labor, the way people work, Changed a whole lot. So, are there any new things you have on the horizon that you'd like that you're planning to implement
2: um, this year? Wage and Hour is working on several initiatives that that impact a number of vital industries. So, first, we have we are continuing our work to address the misclassification of employees as independent contractors. That's okay. one of them. Second, we're working to prevent retaliation, but also enforce the law where workers are retail, retaliated against. Third, we are doubling down on our efforts to protect child workers. Okay. Big thing. And lastly, we are overseeing the expansion of the new federal protections for the nursing mothers through our implementation of the Pump Act.
0: Okay.
2: So these are the new um, initiatives that um, Wage and Hour is working on this year. You know, so. We're
0: speaking with Denise Iglesias, who is the Assistant District Director for the Wage and Hour Division of the Department of Labor in the Hudson Valley. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about um, you know, wage and wages and fair wages and preventing uh abuse of those and enforcing it when it when it does come about. Um so Denise, you just mentioned something which I think you know has been in the atmosphere a little bit, the notion of independent contractors. And, you know, it's come up, I believe, in other states with legislation, things of that nature. Maybe for our listeners, could you say a little bit to make them a little bit smarter about what does that mean, an independent contractor? How does that differ from an employee? Make us a little bit smarter about that.
2: Again, this isn't a case-by-case basis. We look at, um, sometimes you'll encounter employers paying workers on a 1099, um, and and you turn around and you talk to workers, and workers are saying, um, I don't negotiate my my rates of pay. I'm not able to work anywhere else. My employer controls my work schedules, what time I'm able to come in, what time I'm able to come out from work. I mean, we look at degrees of how that employer controls that worker. So there is a number of things that we look at. And again, it's a case by case, um, really can't say, (laughs) you know, IRS has different um, laws pertaining to what they think is a independent contractor versus what the Department of Labor looks at for that.
0: Okay. Now, the other thing which you just mentioned, um, the notion of child workers, I mean, I'm going to say something which I think is a little bit, you know, extreme, but But I'm going to set it up so that you can respond to that. You know, I think when we think of child labor, we sometimes I think of foreign countries or people, children working in factories in countries far away. But you're not concerned with countries far away. You're concerned with what's going on in New York State. So is there a big child worker problem, I'm going to say, in New York State?
2: We are there. There are miners working and, and what we're we see them in every industry from the fast food restaurants to warehouses. So we are taking a a, a look at those. We always have, though. You know, it's just part of our investigative processes. Um, but we have seen a lot, a lot of miners working. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, all right. Um, so, Denise, uh, I am I'm grateful that you have spent the time uh, with us. Um, and uh, thank you for sharing your, your information, your expertise. And, um, you know, I just want to, you know, congratulate the work you do and also congratulate you for kind of the focus on prevention to making sure that uh, bad things don't happen rather than remedying them after they do happen. So Denise Iglesias, thank you for being with us.
2: Thank you. And I just want to add one more thing. So for your listeners out there, if you have any questions, if you feel you've been a victim of wage theft or if there has any overtime allegations, please feel free to contact our wage and hour toll free number, which is 1-866-487-9243. Good.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank Denise you Iglesias. for having me. Right. Denise Blasius, the Assistant Direct, District Director for the Wage and Hour Division of the Department of Labor in the Hudson Valley area. Um, so, uh, Tom, I, I think in you, one of your previous um, careers, didn't you work in human resources in a nursing home?
1: I did, once here. uh, You know, for many, many years, I worked... Uh, uh not many years, I shouldn't say that, for three years. I I I worked in the South Bronx at St. Vincent Nipplecore residence. And uh it was some of my my very favorite uh I guess you know things that I've ever done. We we were able to work from the very beginning Monsignor when the home uh when it wasn't it wasn't occupied yet. And it was really great because we worked with a local community group um that was uh, affiliated um, with the local parish, Saint Athanasius Parish in the South Bronx, there, and uh, and it was really great. We were able to get the local people to uh, to to kind of apply for jobs. We were able to provide training as certified nursing assistants and other things in the nursing home. So it was really it was a it was a really a a, a, a wonderful experience and uh, to kind of see the startup from when kind of policies were put into place to when they actually you know went into place having people come and be employed, having people take care of people in the community. It was really a great experience. And I was, I was young then. I'm not so young now. So it was a good experience. That. <laughs> so,
0: you know, as somebody who was, who was kind of doing the work, um, were there a lot of rules and regulations and protocols that you needed to uh,
1: follow? There were, because, you know, in healthcare, healthcare is a particularly, it's a, it's a, you know, it, it's a very regulated industry, particularly here in New York state, as you know. So there was a lot of things we needed to do. We needed to kind of get up to, to snuff with the department of health. We needed to get up to snuff with the joint commission, uh, uh, which is kind of a healthcare organization that, that kind of comes in and rates healthcare facilities. So we had to get up to snuff with them. And of course we had to uh, work with the, with the local unions. Um, we had two unions in St. Vincent de Paul residence, we had uh, 1199 union, and we had um, the New York State Nurses Association. So so, uh, so I had a little bit of, of experience working with the labor unions, too. So it was really kind of neat. But, you know, very much like um, Denise said, you know, we also had to be sure we followed OSHA procedures. We had to be sure we followed... Um, you know, that people worked the right number of hours, that we we had to be sure people were paid on time, you know, it was all those other kinds of things. It was, it was, it was really, it was really a great experience. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um no, and and again, I mean that as you said, healthcare is such a kind of structured way that there are a lot of rules and regulations, which to some extent maybe help you to be a little bit more compliant. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of stuff that's laid out That you need to do and you need to kind of follow up on in probably a lot of other areas, it may not be so structured and either intentionally or unintentionally, it may be a little bit easier to kind of go off the rails Mm -hmm. because you don't have as many, you know, as many guidelines or, you know, as stuff. So it's... um,
1: I think, I think, see you're absolutely correct. Cause you know, I think when you're in healthcare, like you said, everything is so structured and you kind of have a lot of oversight from both state bodies and from, you know other organizations like labor unions who are kind of keeping yeah. an eye on what you do. You, yeah. you gotta be sure your ducks in a row. I think like Denise mentioned before maybe there are some smaller, you know, employers who, 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 who maybe, you know, don't know, you know that they're not doing something right. But you know, it is,
0: is also very interesting to me and we we only have what what do we got? Six of those principles of of kind of Catholic social teaching. Mm-hmm. Right? Seven. <laughs> That's right. We added we added the environment. <laughs> yeah. Um. So um. But one of them is the right of workers and mm-hmm. and the decency of decent work. So fundamental to our Catholic teaching is making sure that people do have decent work. They are treated treated uh treated fairly um you, you know it, it it's interesting that in our Catholic social teaching over the years there has been you know a strong relationship with labor unions mm-hmm. in terms of ensuring that these days I think sometimes probably some of that may not be as strong as it it used to be, and I think you know labor unions have become a lot less prevalent in the workplace. Mm-hmm. I Still, in some places, like in New York, they're a lot more present than they are in other places, but in other places, maybe not so much. And so that's one of those institutions which kind of has undergone some change, probably in some circles, not as favorably viewed as they would have been in, in other areas. I'm not sure... Tom, what your experience is of that, but your reading of the situation.
1: I think so, Monsieur. You know, it, it's really very funny because um, when I was coming up, uh, you know, as you said, sometimes you would hear people talk, you know, in a in, in a negative sense about, you know, let's say unionized labor to a certain degree. Um, but then, in my experience, it was very illustrative to me because you know, working inside and then actually working with labor unions. I began to see a little bit about um, how important they are, um, too. And like any organization that's here, any organization that is human is going to have human foibles, right? I mean, there's going to be good and there's going to be bad and it's going to be a mix. But I really feel that, you know, when you wind up working with the labor unions, you know, I worked with some really, you know, I my experience, I had a good relationship with the organizers. I think if you deal respectfully with people, they can deal respectfully back with you. I saw how, you know, people coming together, you know, to collectively bargain was good. And I also think, you know, labor unions play a role as a mediating institution. I think, you know, we never want it to be kind of like, you know, the the big powerful person versus a little tiny person with no power, you know, a kind of labor unit helps to balance that scale. And I think, you know, like churches, like religious organizations, I think unions can play a role as mediating institutions too. But I think you're right. I think they've gotten a bad rap recently, but you know, when I began to see how they operate, I grew a new appreciation.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I would be a big fan of unions. I think they, they serve a very, very, you know, important function. As you said, Tom, you know, not that everything that every institution does is perfect, including the church. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but but on the whole, the unions do serve a very, very important role in protecting Workers and it does, as you say, maybe even the the playing feel a little bit when you have, you know, a big company that has a lot of resources at its exposure. If it's just an individual worker, it may be a little bit unfair <laughs> in the negotiations. But when it's a group of workers, it makes it a little bit better. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, you know, for the most part, this is not the world we live in now. But for the most part, I think most unions, and most management, want to act responsibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what we hear about is when either management or unions don't. And that makes the big news, and that exactly. makes the big story. Exactly. Um, as it does in almost every area of life that we are dealing <laughs> with these days. So, sure. um, so anyway, but, I, but I'm glad that there is a division of the Department of Labor that is looking into that. And I know from our experience working with day laborers, <clears throat> we know that sometimes they do get uh cheated out of the mm-hmm. wages that they earn. So it's good that we have a division that looks into that to make sure that people are being treated fairly and they are being being paid. Um Tom, I think it's time for us to take a take a break. Mm-hmm. Uh this is just love. Just do it. Just love God, just love your neighbor. Just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world from the perspective of our Catholic values, our Catholic social teaching. Hey, Tom, we teased this a, a little bit, but let's remind our listeners about what those seven basic fundamental principles of Catholic social teaching are. Can you
1: do it very briefly for our listeners? I'll do it real quick, Monsieur. The first two are the foundational principles. The first is the life and dignity of the human person. A very easy way to remember this is in Catholic teaching, human life is sacred. But as a corollary to that, the second principle is the call to family, community and participation, which also uh, corresponds to life is also social. We grow up within families, families live within communities, communities live within nations and nations are within communities, too. Uh, The third is rights and responsibilities. Um, That means that in Catholic teaching, we believe in human rights, but we also believe to every right corresponds a responsibility to act in a just and compassionate way, as you're always saying, on just love. Uh, The uh, fourth is uh, the option for the poor and vulnerable, meaning we always have to be attentive to those on the margins of society. We can't only worry about the center. We have to worry about those who are on the margins, on the edge as well. Um, the fifth is, uh, we mentioned just, we talked about earlier in the show, the dignity of work and the rights of workers. Uh, this goes back to the very beginning of Catholic social teaching and the encyclical Rerum Novarum. And, uh, to remember that our work has inherent dignity and that's how God established that we would contribute to the good of the world through, through our work. The sixth is Solidarity. Uh, which simply means that we have to love our brothers and sisters, not just who live across the street, but live across the world. And this is something uh, that I think is very obvious to modern people, but it's something that, you know, we have to be intentional to. And the final one Monsignor, is care of God's creation. We have to remember that how we treat the environment is uh, a corollary to how we treat one another and treat God, because after all, human beings live within the environment. So if we're going to treat people well, we have to treat the environments in which they live in well, and we have to be sure to take care of the environment, too.
0: As usual, Tom, you get an A.
1: <laughs> that <laughs> is, so is really,
0: really, <laughs> uh, really good. So let's go to our next guest, Jeremy Molina, the director of Bronx Rises Against Gun Violence, uh, working with Good Shepherd Services. Um Jeremy um, Molina, thank you for being with us on Just Love.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: My first question: tell me about ski. Where's ski fit in? Is that your middle name or what?
3: No, that's actually my street name. My what we say, what we like to say handle. Um, I got that name as a young teenager doing graffiti, um, you know, doing all types of high-risk activities myself as a youngster, and um, it just stuck with me. Okay. You, know, you know, I use it now at work as well to connect. Did you it. like it? I mean, I don't like it that much, but you know, it, it stuck with me, and um, you know, that's what the streets know me by. So I okay. keep it, connect with the with the community.
0: Okay. Well, so you want me to call you Jeremy? You want me to call you Ski? You can call
3: me Ski. That's All fine.
0: right. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, so listen, um, <clears throat> let's get right into this because. We just finished 4th um, of July, and we just heard news from around the country in one city, another city, about gun violence. There were a number of people who were, who were shot, some people even killed because, because of it. Is gun rising, is gun violence, is, is it increasing in your experience?
3: Well, I mean, the gun violence has always been there, you know, um, in certain areas, certain times that it increases, um, certain beefs, you know, you got people coming out of prison who, um, you know, have left for a long time, come back and still have those grudges, still have those beefs and, you know, certain times and certain patches in the community. So, um, with 4th of July, you know, um, a lot of fireworks going off, you know, all the noises and all that. And um. There's opportunity for some people to, you know, let those guns go off. So, all right. But
0: you're what you're doing now is saying, wait a minute, we can do something about this. And so as the director of Bronx Rises Against Gun Violence, what's that do? What's that program about?
3: All right, so we have a, a team of credible messengers. Um those are individuals that we hire from the very same communities that we serve, um, have a you know a good influence, have a past life of being involved in high-risk activities. So we're familiar with the with the community, familiar with the individuals that may be still at high risk, at risk. And um, we connect with the community. We look like them. We speak like them. We dress like them. So it makes it easier for us to connect with those individuals and just give them different alternatives for them to put the guns down and something else for them to pick up. So what's the message? I mean, you just kind of gave me a little bit. So
0: with the the people who have credibility, what's the message they're they're putting out on the street?
3: Basically, you don't have to pick- pick up the gun to resolve any conflicts any beats you may have. you understand a lot of the um staff that we have employed um done you know done did time themselves in prison, and you know we have a lot of friends and families that family members that are no longer here with us due to the gun violence, so we like to share our stories and you know tell the individuals from the community to go a different path and we could you know we could share our stories and we're the ones I like to say that We're the ones that, um, I like to say that we're the fortunate ones, right? Because we took part in in, in some of those actions and those incidents and we're still here and we changed our lives and we're trying to help others do the same. And
0: what gives you the best hope? What gives you the most hope about the work
3: you're doing? Well, there's plenty of participants, um, individuals that we enrolled into the program that were involved in you know, at risk on um, picking up that gun. And now they no longer carry that gun. You understand? Now they're working. They're going back to school. We have some individuals that are employed with us now, and they're doing the same thing, helping others, you know, put the gun down. So I, I see it. I see I see the, the results. Siski, so, Ski, um, you, you began to hint a little
0: bit about it, but... Your experience being on the street, why don't people pick up guns?
3: There's plenty of reasons. You know, there's a lot of disparities in the community, um, you know, low-income low, on, low income communities. Um, you know, some may not have nothing to eat and just looking for something to eat for the night. You know, um, a lot of single par- single homes, you know, a lot of um, single parents, Um, you know, social media plays a big role now. Um, Everyone wants to have the latest things. And, you know, sometimes picking up that gun and going to take it from someone is easier than going and working for it. So just just a few to mention.
0: Yeah. Um, Again, just just a little bit my interest um, is the guns that you see in your communities,
3: are they legal or illegal? No, these guns are illegal. eh? No one in the community, for the most part, have any permits or license to carry. And yeah. especially not these 13 14 15 year old kids that are doing most of the shootings. So, I don't want to get I mean get into
0: a lot of this, but you know that's one of the one of the things when you know they everybody's talking about gun control and gun control legislation. What I say is okay, I'm in favor of it, but I'm not sure that solves much of the problem because there's so many illegal guns around that passing a law, maybe we should do it. But I'm not sure that gets at the major problem. But that's just my opinion.
3: I get it. I get it. Um, I know plenty have heard of the iron pipeline. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of these guns coming from the South, you know, so maybe at a federal level, something has to be regulated for them not to, you know, come yeah. into our city. Yeah. Is there can you recall
0: you've been doing this work for for a fair amount of time right yes um is there any is there one or two instances that really sticks out in your mind of a success story where somebody went out and really was uh talking with some of the people and really had an impact any particular incident or story that you recall a very positive outcome
3: yeah well it, we have plenty of success stories right every time we have someone put that gun down it's a success story if if i was to say right yeah. but, um being in the community i recall and this has happened numerous times um individual has a firearm on them ready to approach another individual that they've seen that they have whatever beef you know right. um us being bragged, being familiar with that individual, we see the temperature. It's like a it's like an extra sense that you have. You know, you got the six senses, it's like an extra sense when you're in the community and we pick up on that and we see that that individual with the firearm was looking aggressive. He had a look in his eyes, like he was ready to go and lay that other individual down. We got his attention and luckily he's listened to us. He stopped and what's up? I'm about to go handle something. Brother, listen. You're walling out right now. There's cameras all over the place right now. If you do something, you're gonna pick. You're gonna picked up on camera. You're gonna throw your life away. It's not worth it right now. That that little strategy we used was just to buy him some time. Later on, he went back. He put that at that moment. He stopped. He went back. He said, "All right, cool. I'm gonna do it where there's no cameras." Hmm. We, we went back, we met with that individual and then there we started to work. We started to, you know, try to change that mindset. And eventually they had a conversation with each other and that beef was, was resolved. That's just one, that's just one simple, you know, um, incident. I like to always bring up one of my staff that's, he's on my team because we have three different brag programs and I'm the director of the brag West and we say West cause I do the work on the West side of the Bronx. Um, one of the individuals, um, he was recently released from prison, doing a ten-year sentence. Um, he, he came to brag as a participant, was enrolled, and um, doing the work with him. He seen we seen the potential. He's seen the potential that the program had, and he was enrolled. He was hired to do. The same work that we're doing, and now he's he has a reach in the community, and he's constantly on a daily basis bringing individuals and helping change that mindset as well. So that's you know that's just a big one of from one being a participant to one being an employee and and making the difference.
0: We're speaking with Jeremy Ski Molina, the director of the Brag Program, Bronx Rises Against Gun Violence. He's with Good Shepherd Services. Um, It seems to me what you're talking about is very, very hands-on, community-based, and pretty intense, the work that's being done. Have I picked that up correctly?
3: Yes, sir. Yes, you have.
0: And so let me ask you this. What what are your recommendations or thoughts? How could you be more effective? What would you like to see either Bragg do more of, or what should we be doing as a society in order to deal with gun violence?
3: Well, we just we were just having um this conversation yesterday. Um, me and my team was having a debriefing about the shooting that just occurred in our catchment area, which is considered our hot zone. And uh, what we were saying is that we need more, more cure violence, more programs like ourselves to cater to different communities around the ones that we already are catering to. Because we're fighting one side of the war. If We're telling some individuals from one community to put the gun down, and they're beefing and going to war with another community not too far from the community we serve. We need to replicate that and do that over there. So that way, both sides are getting the same resources and getting the same message you know, so they can both put the guns down. It's like we're telling one side to put the gun down and the others not to. So if we could replicate that, open a lot of more community um, centers for recreational use, you know, things of that nature. In these low-income communities, we don't have a lot of that. We lack that. So, you know, BRAG only has, you know, we have a lot to offer, but there's only so much to offer and it's not enough to offer.
0: Yeah, and, and as as we talked about before, to do that work, a lot of it is one-on-one work, which requires uh, intensity and requires a lot of people who are, who are kind of um, involved in it, which is, which, is, which is challenging, which is difficult to do that. Um, if you were to step back, Ski, a little bit, is there things we should be doing more broadly as a society to kind of deal with gun violence?
3: Well, I think you know we have some strict laws in 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 play. You understand? Um, as we mentioned, these guns are are getting poured into our community, right? So I see I see it as a federal issue. You know, regulating these highways or whatever way these guns are getting into our community—that's one. That's a big one. And you know, the low income. It, communities where a lot of these shortings are occurring, you know, opening up, like I said, community centers, um, you know, opening up these schools for some of the community to use, you know, things of that nature in order to keep these individuals busy, you know, more job opportunities for these for, for these communities, you know, things of that nature. That way they don't have to result in picking up that gun, you know, a lot of, especially during the summertime, um, the temperature gets hot and the streets get hot. You know, we like to say the sun comes, the sun's out, the guns out, you know, right. during, during the summer. Um, and like like I said, like I mentioned, you know, if if some of the individuals had a community center in these hot zones where I, I mentioned that we do our work at, they won't be outside, you know, roaming freely looking for, you know, someone to you know do harm to or partake in some type of violence. Yeah. So Ski, I mean,
0: I know you mentioned one of the things that would be very helpful if there were more programs like yours and if they were in more communities, so there was a greater kind of saturation of communities with the same message. Um, But in addition to that, are there any new initiatives that are on the horizon for rags to trying to be even more effective?
3: Well, um, as as I mentioned, you know, on um, replicating the program, we're looking to expand into other communities um around the the ones that we currently um are serving. Um, uh, we we're we're opening up more Saturday Night Lights program. That's a basketball program that we are trying to get into schools, you know, at, for a certain amount of time and letting the community use that. Um, Bragg has a uh uh boxing program that we teach, you know, um individuals how to the 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 skill, the discipline behind boxing, you know, not picking up the weapon. We have a music recording studio, you understand? Um, we've got different um outlets so that these individuals can keep busy and utilize. Um, you know, that's just a few dimensions. We have the hospital response team. So whenever the individual or or a victim of gun violence, you know, gets shot, um, the, the HR, the hospital response team, responds to the hospital and they start to the work in there because at the hospital, that's where a lot of retaliation starts. You know, um, that's where the talks start. We like to utilize what we say the golden hour. And during that hour is where the victim is most vulnerable, you know, and that's where they, you know, more they tend to listen more, you know, about, you know, the consequences or, or the results that that may come From you know, continuing the violence or you know getting into um retaliation mode. Are you happy with the work you're doing? Yes, I'm. I'm extremely happy. You know, it it could get overwhelming with all of the gun violence. You know, it's it's a it's a never ending fight. But um, this is what we do. This is a lifestyle, and um we have family members and friends in these very same communities that we serve. So we're just trying to, you know, build, build back up the community that we once took part in destroying. Jeremy
0: Ski Molina. Thanks so much, not for being with us and I appreciate you taking the time to share with our listeners, the great work you're doing, but I really want to thank you for the work that you are doing now many many years before you were born i was in the bronx so i know the bronx well my dad <clears throat> many many years before that he went to deal with clinton high school so <laughs> I, yeah he's, a, he's an alumni i grew up for a while on the corner of bainbridge and gun hill okay there so i know that area of the bronx and So I just want to say thank you to you for the work that you're doing trying to keep the Bronx safe and to save the lives of some kids who may go the wrong direction if it weren't for the work you're doing. So thank you so much for for doing that work.
3: Appreciate that. Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Jeremy Ski Molina, the director of BRAG, Bronx Rises Against Gun Violence with Good Shepherd Services. Um, Tom, I think we'll take a break and we'll be back in a little bit. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compatible. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world through the prism of our Catholic social teaching. Uh, hey, Tom, we
1: are in the middle of summer. What would you do for Fourth of July? Fourth of July, I went, you know, I did a counterintuitive thing. You know, in New York, we have the great big... You went over to England and you kind of celebrated <laughs> uh, the, the
0: royalty in England. Not that counterintuitive, okay.
1: here, but, but for a New, a new Yorker counterintuitive, because, you know, the big fireworks are over were on the east side drive and you know they they had the big macy's fireworks and everything i went over to the west side because i didn't want to deal with the crowds so i was able to get right up to the uh to the to the railing and i got a great view of the jersey city fireworks which were not as impressive as a macy's but were really very nice so so i think i made a good decision in doing that good
0: i like that that. that's a good That's that's great. Uh, Tom, you were just down recently at a meeting with Catholic Relief Services. Mm -hmm. And our listeners by this point should know about Catholic Relief Services because we've had a number of guests on there. But basically, Catholic Relief Services is the international um, assistance organization of the Catholic Church in the United States, which provides assistance in, oh, I think, you know, I don't know how many countries is.
1: Uh, I, I over over 100 now, Monsieur.
0: Okay, over 100 countries. Um, so, Tom, but they had a meeting with the people like yourself, who kind of are liaison with dioceses. To tell
1: us a little bit about that meeting. Sure, Monsieur. Well, I, I mean, it was it was really it was a it was a great meeting. It was down at Catholic University. They had about 110 uh, individuals from different dioceses all across the country. Uh, they ranged in age they had students they had diocesan folks they had uh, members of chapters uh from various dioceses and uh you know they basically the very first day we we sort of had folks come together and they were educating us on some different you know programs that were happening in 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 around the world the Catholic Relief Services did primarily about food aid and 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 aid regarding water and aid regarding um the methods of farming, because so often we know with climate change, maybe old methods, and I think you witnessed this when you went to uh, uh, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, Monsieur. They don't work anymore in in the places, and so there's aid that um, that Catholic Relief Services has to kind of train people on on how to farm in those kind of circumstances. And then Thursday of that week, we went over to Capitol Hill uh, to kind of uh, lobby a little bit our legislators. Are we? I, I visited. I'm from New York. So, of course, I visited Senator Schumer and Senator Gillibrand's staff to kind of advocate on 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 behalf of particularly the food aid the Catholic Relief Services uh, provides to folks in the developing world. And um, and it's interesting Monsignor. You know, there's this uh, bill that was just kind of put forward the week before we came down. It's called the American Farmers Feed the World Act. And Catholic Relief Services is concerned about this bill because what it's going to do is it's going to take away a little bit of the wiggle room the Catholic Relief Services has to kind of do that feeding, kind of that different kind of farming um, and, and teaching people a different kind of farming and kind of switch that over just to food that's grown here in America that would be transported over to the developing world. Um, so there was great concern about that. So we kind of had some conversations with legislators about that. And, and it was just great being with people doing the good work and kind of being messengers of the good work that Catholic Relief Services does on Capitol Hill.
0: Okay well Tom, thank you so much for sharing that uh with us you know n- next week on just love, I'm going to speak a little bit about the trip that I just finished to Israel, and it's a very very um troubling place at the moment um we all have kind of read about you know the uh, the the military action in the refugee camp in Janine. Um, When I was over there, I was near there. I wasn't at the camp, but did visit another camp uh, right outside of Bethlehem. Uh, And it is a very, very challenging uh, place at the moment. The tensions, the political uh, disputes over judicial reform make it a very, very kind of challenging area. So I'll share a little bit of that next week. And it also, quite frankly, um, there are certain parallels with some of the political volatility in the United States. So, you know, as we have just finished Independence Day, um, I think we need to keep in prayers all the nations of the world, given the volatility and given some of the extremism that we see in our political debates in the United States and other places, and You know, we need to play for a world that is more peaceful and more just. So thank you for being with us on Just Love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. Our world will be more just and more compassionate. We'll be back next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM
1: 129.